This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, how effective are high shoulder shots for taking big game? And what about the 358 Norma Magnum? We're going to answer those questions and a lot more on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast. Hello, everyone. We're feeling bookish today because our book is out. It's the 7mm book, Cartridges from Around the World. If you are interested in picking up a copy of my 7mm book, well, you're going to find it on Amazon for, I think, around $30. But we're offering um, signed copies. If you'd like an autographed copy, go to ronspomeroutdoors.com to the store. You should see the book there and you can order it right on there and we will sign it and get it sent out to you. It's going to cost you more money than the Amazon version though. So if you want to save a few bucks, just go Amazon. What I've covered here are all of the seven millimeter cartridges in the world that I could dredge up. And there are something like 46 of them in this book, believe it or not. And the cover includes what we would consider currently available commercial cartridges. But there are a lot of wildcats in there and proprietary cartridges and fun stuff. And a lot of details about velocities and uh, cases and where they were made in the history and who invented them and all sorts of fun stuff. So you might want to check that one out. But the other book I want to talk about is from a friend of mine, Chris Madsen, who is just one heck of a stylistic writer. Um, He's considered one of the better conservation writers of the day. Chris has been active for about as long as I have been. In fact, he and I worked together on a number of projects over the years, um, and he's just got some wonderful stories about his dogs. Chris has been a big game hunter as well as an upland bird hunter, but he's mostly an upland game bird hunter with his Britneys, and he's always run Britneys. I tease him a bit about that because I'm a setter man, <laughs> but boy, he's had great luck, especially hunting pheasants with his Britneys. If you just like good dog stories, you might want to check this out. True Companions, Life in the Field and Home with Our Hunting Dogs by Chris Madsen. And I imagine this is available on uh, 
on Amazon, but it's a Stackpole book. So Stackpole Books is another place you can go to look for that one. Now let's get to some of our questions. And of course, we go to the patrons right away. And one of our patrons calls himself Armfield, and he's asking about these shoulder shots on deer. Ron, what are your thoughts on this high shoulder shot on deer? I am a classic boiler room shot hunter myself, and it has never failed me, but I do see a number of people who are favoring this high shoulder shot, maybe in certain circumstances and at a closer uh, range to give the best chance for an accurate shot, it may have its place. Also, I imagine, given the amount of bone that you would need something deep penetrating and fairly heavy, perhaps an all-copper bullet. What do you think? Well, I wrote back and I said, Armfield, uh, I think you are thinking correctly on this high shoulder shot, although tough bullets and penetration are really not major issues. I've seen frangible varmint bullets work. The simple fact is that shot placement hits or nearly hits the spine because it dips down quite dramatically in front of the withers, the high shoulders. And this either kills instantly or it so incapacitates the animal that you have plenty of time to get in a finisher if it's needed. Usually it is not needed because a bullet or bone fragments also tear the upper lungs. In fact, a fragmenting bullet enhances this aspect. So this shot does ruin a bit of uh, meat, maybe a little bit more than the behind the shoulder shot, but it certainly can be deadly. So if anyone is interested in trying that, it's just straight up the leg on the shoulder, higher than you normally would for a heart and lung shot, and then maybe a little bit to the front too, because that's where that spine dips down into the neck of, of deer, and you usually end up hitting that. And boy, it works really well. It's just down right there. But if you try that, be ready to take another shot just in case you miss the spine, only stun the animal. But it usually works quite well. You might want to give it a try. Here is one from another patron, Evan. Hi, Ron. I truly enjoy the content you put out. It's some of the most well-produced, interesting, and palatable of its kind. Well, thank you, Evan. There are a lot of guys doing guns and hunting videos. Some are better than others. Yours are very obviously thoughtfully put together, so thank you. Now for his question. Uh, in the off chance that you're scrounging around for video ideas, I would really enjoy seeing something on the 358 Norma Magnum. I built one a couple of years back, and I've been enjoying loading for it. It's one that should have been popular, but lamentably it is not. I've tried everything from 180 grain to 250 grain projectiles, and I plan on trying some in the 280 to 310 grain sizes, if I can ever find them in stock. If you have any insights or experiences with the 358 Norma, I would love to hear about it. Thanks again for all the great content. Well, you are certainly welcome, Evan. And I wrote Evan back, but I failed to uh, copy that down here, so I can't read it to you. Wait a minute. Here we go. Here it is. Hey, thanks for those kind words, Evan. I haven't worked with that 358 Norma Magnum, even though it's been around since 1959. As you likely know, it is essentially the 338 Winchester Magnum necked up to 35 caliber. It should throw a 250 grain bullet about 100 feet per second faster than that 338 Winchester Magnum does. Uh, I'm guessing that those 270 to 300 grain bullets you talked about would put it squarely in the 375 H and H Magnum class, and maybe slightly ahead of it. Alas, as you probably know, <laughs> the uh, 
358 Norma Magnum is not all that popular. So featuring it as a standalone video just might not get much interest. But I will keep it in mind. I might do a roundup of 35 uh, caliber cartridges, and I would certainly put it in there. But as a standalone, probably not. But I'll see what I can do. All right. Now, we've got some uh, letters here from folks. My wife has put these together. She pulls them off of the comment sections of our videos, as well as comments that come into Ron Spomer Outdoors website. Let's see what she's found here. From someone called Pepe. Ha! That three-inch group in the YouTube plaque. That's all it says. So this is what he's referring to. Yeah, that is about a three-inch group, but I wasn't trying to make a one-hole group. These are distinctively shot as individual holes representing our clients or our customers or our fans. When you get 100,000 subscribers on a YouTube channel, YouTube sends you this nice little award. And uh, when you get 200,000, they don't do another award. So we thought we would make our own award to celebrate the folks who've joined us. So when we got 200,000 subscribers, we shot a 20 caliber hole in it. Then when we got 300,000, we moved over and shot a 30 caliber hole and then a 40 caliber hole. Up next is the 50. It's not going to be a tight group, but boy, we sure enjoy those holes because they represent you, our fans, and we really appreciate that. All right, let's see what Walker here has to say. I missed the stream tonight. Oh, he's talking about our live streaming chat room stuff uh, when our videos come out. I generally get on with the folks and we do some chatting back and forth, typing out some questions and answers and stuff. So Walker missed that one uh, because he lost his dog. Oh, that's too bad, Walker. She was a family dog uh, trained to be a great upland hunter. She wasn't a year old yet, but was an amazing dog, especially uh, bonding with our autistic son. Oh, that's too bad you lost her. We miss her so much. Wonderful dog. The silver lining in losing her is that one of her female siblings was never adopted. We might pick that one up. Oh, well, that's nice. We'll see how the future turns out. Hey, thanks for any prayers and thoughts from anyone that reads this. Always looking forward. Well, Walker, I, I understand it. Um, I don't generally put... Um, announcements like this on this website because we're concentrating obviously on guns and ammo and shooting and stuff but we quite often put covey on the show and everybody seems to love covey and i can understand why you've come in with a dog that you love now when you say you lost your dog i'm not sure if your dog has died or if you've simply lost her if it's the latter i hope you find her um, and if it's the former i think you would be doing right by getting her sister into your family and adopting her it sounds like a good program and good luck with the hunting all right, this is from Gary. Other things that I carry. Oh, this must be in response to a video I did on what I carry in my day pack when I'm hunting. Uh, just in uh, easy terrain, not up in the mountains backpacking. And Gary says that he adds a few things to his pack. A pencil and a notepad. Good ideas, especially the pencil or a pen so you can sign your uh, tag. Most states require that. Plus some survey ribbon for marking. I use that a lot in the mountains, especially elk hunting. Any big forested country where you might have trouble retracing your route back to what you've shot, say uh, an elk or a deer. Um, and then a whistle for a noisemaker. It's a good idea in case you get hurt. You're not ambulatory anymore and you need to signal for help. It's a lot easier to blow a loud police whistle than to start shouting. And the small flashlight. Yeah. Those are good suggestions, Gary. Make It says, how do you carry your water? 
So Make It is obviously referring to that same video. Um, that's on Ron Spomer Outdoors, our regular YouTube channel. Um, and he's saying, yeah, he's asking me how I carry my water. I forgot to mention that. I commonly just use a common soda or drink plastic bottle of some kind, and I recycle those. Uh, some of those energy drink things that come in a plastic bottle instead of a, a tin or aluminum can, I usually fill a couple of those and put them in my side pockets. Sometimes I will use a bladder. Some guys really like the bladder. For quite a few years there, they were really popular, but I had I didn't enjoy them all that much because they had all these hoses that came out. And the idea was that you just kept walking along and charging hard while you drank your water and you never took a break. I appreciate taking a break. I like to take my pack off, get out my water, sit back, look at the countryside and enjoy life a little bit while I to rehydrate, as they say. So I don't make it complicated anymore. Now, there is an issue with splashing. Now, you get a jug that sort of slashes back and forth and you're trying to be sneaky. That is a concern. So if you are hunting really close range stuff where that might be an issue, you might want to consider a bladder because they generally don't splash around as much. Sagebrush, what have you got to ask here? A small balloon works to protect a muzzle in wet weather. This must also be referring to that video on what I pack. Yes, he is selecting a small balloon to put over the muzzle of his rifle to keep moisture out of it. I mentioned using electrician's tape. I like the electrician tape a little better. I've tried that balloon thing, and they sometimes are a little bit flimsy, and in brush you can tear them, whereas the tape is a little more durable. So I'll just put one strip over the muzzle itself and then wrap around it so it doesn't come off the, off the muzzle, and it works pretty well. And don't worry about shooting right through it. Not a problem. I've seen videos on this in super slow motion, and the bullet punches right out through there. No impact on the changing in the velocity or the energy, and it's not going to blow up your barrel or anything, that little piece of plastic on there. So don't worry about that. But Sagebrush has a few other things he likes to put in his pack, and that in the cut gloves or gutting gloves, some sort of a plastic glove, unscented wet wipes for cleaning up, a gut hook tool, and uh, something called a butt-out-2 tool in my pack. And that is a little device that you run up through the anus to pull, start pulling the innards out or something. I don't use that. I just use my knife to go around, and then I pull everything out. Yeah, but if that's what you like to use for your field dressing, uh, don't forget it. <laughs> Good tips there. Now, here's something on, I think, a wrong cartridge or something from DLN. G-Ron. If you hadn't caught that 6.5 Creedmoor and shot it with all the extra headspace, something could have backfired on your face and you with no glasses on? Ah, this one refers to a video I did in which I was shooting a 308 Winchester and inside of that box, I pulled out a Creedmoor. Of course, I didn't realize it at the time. I just pulled out another, what I thought was a 308 cartridge, loaded up, and it is really difficult to chamber. I managed to close the bolt and I was about to fire and I thought, wait a minute, why would that thing be that hard to close the bolt on? And I suspected that the bullet was seated too far out perhaps and I had jammed it into the lands and that can raise your pressure significantly. So I thought I'd better take it out and double check. Well, when I pulled it out, the bullet was still atop the cartridge, but it was not a 308 bullet. It was a 
0.264-inch diameter bullet because the cartridge itself was a 6.5 Creedmoor that had somehow gotten into a 308 Winchester box. And after I posted that, I got lots of comments from people saying that they had seen the similar deals over and over again. It was really amazing at how often that happened. So it was a good warning for everyone. Uh, always check those head stamps and look at your cartridges. Don't just assume that that box you buy has all the right cartridges in it. Um, and then his other point here, of course, is the safety glasses. That's why he said, you with no glasses on. If we had gotten some kind of blowback, of course, you've got issues with things coming into your eyes. It's often what happens. Now, most firearms are designed to have some pretty good gas blocks. So anything that happens in the chamber that blows gases and or particles back will get blocked by the bolt lugs or a secondary lug that blocks the channel or often a shroud on the back of the bolt itself. And that redirects those gases away from your eyes. But still, it just is an awfully good idea to have eye protection when you shoot. I am supposed to know better than that, but I, I tend to be old school. We never had glasses in the day when I was a kid, and that sort of sticks with you as you get older. But I try, and my wife now always tries to remind me to continue to try to always wear some safety glasses. When I get my regular prescription glasses done up, I have them made with the polycarbonate lenses that are what you essentially get in your shooting glasses for protection. So I can wear those while I get my protection. But yes, by all means, do protect your eyes while you're shooting because, man, you just never know what can happen. Now we're going to get to the surprise questions here on the computer. And it looks like someone is reminding me about, oh, the Gundy Awards. I need to thank whoever it was who nominated me for this award. There is a some kind of an award program called the Gundy Awards that involves YouTube channels about hunting, shooting, guns, and ammo, and the sort of stuff we cover. And apparently, uh, fans write in and vote for somebody, and, and you're supposed to, I think, as... Uh, a producer, I'm supposed to tell you guys about this ahead of time, but I didn't even know what was going on. But somebody put me up for it anyway. And apparently enough of you appreciate what we do here that you pushed us up into the top five. So now we're invited to a red carpet gala during the SHOT Show in Las Vegas. Oh my gosh. I don't do red carpets all that well. So I'll have to go buy some uh, city clothes <laughs> and get spiffed up a little bit and walk down a red carpet and watch someone else win the award because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to win this award for the best outdoorsman. <laughs> that makes me chuckle. But I really appreciate anyone and everyone who voted for me for the Gundy Awards. And next year, we'll pay more attention to them. All right, let's see what Dylan from California is asking. I have been having an idea lately for one all-around rifle, coyote and deer, out to 200, maybe 300 yards, maybe up. 243, would that be a good one? What are your thoughts? Now I'm in California, so we have to use copper bullets. Okay, Dylan, no issue about the copper bullets. I have used copper bullets in everything from the 22s up through the 458 Magnums, and they work beautifully. Some of the earlier ones had a few little issues, but man, they've been around now since the late 1980s. And they have just tweaked them and perfected them. And there are some wonderful designs out there. They work incredibly well. 
So I don't have any issues with having to use copper. As for the 243 Winchester, great little cartridge, a little bit light for some people, but there have been so many deer taken with them by all sorts of hunters, me included. And quite a few, believe it or not, elk hunters have successfully used the 243. It's just a matter of choosing the right bullet and putting it in the right place. But for deer, in, in your California, sir, you're going to be looking at black-tailed deer and maybe some mule deer, but similar, real, real similar. And coyotes, of course, uh, perfect cartridge for coyotes. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good choice out to 300 yards. I have used a 243 out to that range and a couple of times I've even extended it past 300 to almost 400 yards and it's worked beautifully all the time. So you're right on with that one. Um, I can remember using some 75 grain bullets. You're not going to be able to use 100 grain copper bullets because unless you get a special fast twist 243, um, you're not going to be able to stabilize them because they're so light that they have to get really long in order to get their weights up. So generally with the all copper bullets, you're topping out at about 80 to 85 grains in weight and they'll still stabilize in your probably one in 10 or one in nine inch twist barrel on your 243 Winchester. But other than that, don't worry that you're not shooting a 100 grain bullet. There are a lot of people who think you need a 100 grain bullet for deer in a 243, but that's not necessarily true. I have gone, as I said, with 75 grain bullets and had them wonderfully effective in their terminal performance on big whitetail bucks. So I don't think you'll have any trouble with that. Great. Good luck out there, Dylan. Now in Oklahoma comes Tommy. Why does almost everyone feel the need to make a 4570 go fast? <laughs> Loaded to its original velocities, it will take care of anything you hit. I referenced the 4570 at two miles at Sandy Hook. I don't, I don't know what that is referencing. The original testing for the government. Oh, okay. This was uh, done by the government when they were designing the 4570 way back in the 1870s. Um, and they shot it out to two miles. Wow. The original testing for the government to adopt it as a military cartridge showed that it could perform that far. So just learn to shoot the rainbow. <laughs> That's pretty good, Tommy. So what he means by learn to shoot the rainbow is, of course, the 4570 at its original velocities of around Gosh, what was that thing doing? Maybe 1,800 feet per second. I'll bet it was closer to 15 in the original. There was a 400 grain bullet. And then later they went with a lighter one that shoot a little bit faster and flatter at 300 grains. But it was about a 405 grain bullet was the standard military. And then they had some 500 grain bullets, which were really going slow. But at any rate, when you're going that slow with that much bullet weight, you have a rainbow trajectory in order to get down range. And this, the little joke here is learn to shoot the rainbow. Is that You just need to know your drops and, of course, your wind deflections for all the time that that bullet is in flight. It's got a lot of time to get moved around and deflect and everything else. But it's got enough energy to reach two miles, according to the government tests. All right. Um, oh, as far as your first question, Tommy, why does almost everyone feel the need to make it go fast? Because we're in America and everything is better if it goes faster. <laughs> now from uh, Minnesota, Steve asks, as a member of RSO, Ron Spomer Outdoors, are early videos able to be accessed or are they removed as the new ones are added? No, all of our videos on RSO TV, Steve, are available. 
Um, we don't take them down. Occasionally an old, old, old one that's not getting a lot of views, we might move take off or if we think we can improve with something better but generally everything that we do on youtube gets put on there and then a few that are a little too firearms intense for uh, playing on the general youtube channels we put on there and betsy keeps telling me to do some standalones more standalones for rso tv and it's one of the things we're going to try to do in the new year is more exclusive content um, videos of hunting and testing rifles and loading and all sorts of fun stuff. So we'll see if we can get geared up for that, Steve. But they're always available. All right, back out to California now with Gerald. Does a 50-yard group multiplied by two equal a 100-yard group? In other words, if I shoot a half inch at 50 yards, does that equal uh, one inch at 100 yards? Is one MOA the same at all distances? Yeah, you're on it there, Gerald. So a minute of angle isn't one inch at all distances. It's an angular measurement. But it, what it means is that minute of angle is the equivalent of 1.047 inches of diversion from your launch point at 100 yards. Um, and then at 200 yards, you double it. So it's 2.0 point something <laughs> added up. Essentially, by the time you get out to a thousand yards, you're going to be shooting just under a, an 11 inch group, about 10 and a half, a little more than that. So at five yard, uh, 50 yards, yeah, half inch group at 50 would be the equivalent of a one inch at 100 and 1.5 at uh, 150, two inches at 200 and just keep doing the math like that. So that's the way all that works. Um, I think that's all I need to tell you. But I, I think you've got a nice idea here. I, I hear this a fair amount from folks who don't have access to a 100-yard range. So how do they work up their loads and different things and test for accuracy? Yes, you're right on it. If you can shoot at 50 yards, just double the group size, and you'll know what you're doing at 100 yards. And if you can only shoot at 25 yards, you quadruple it for 100 yards. Shoot a quarter-inch group at 25 yards, and you should have a half-inch group at 50, three-quarter-inch group at 75, and a full one-inch group at 100 yards. I hope that answered it for you, Gerald. Now to Colorado, where Scooby, I don't know if this Scooby does or does, or if he's a Scooby-Doo or not, but he's a Scooby from Colorado. Hey, Ron, are there any books just about brass that would cover fire forming, annealing, cleaning, care, swaging, necking, et cetera, et cetera? Thanks for your time. Oh, yeah, book about brass. So we're talking about brass cartridges, uh, a hand loader, because hand loaders are resizing brass and they're cleaning it. And you you uh, clean out the primer pockets and sometimes you square them up and all sorts of wonderful things to get beautifully built, accurate ammunition. What, but a book just about that, I can think of, I know, let me check my little library here. This is a fairly new book. We uh, interviewed this gentleman a while back, Ammunition Demystified. This has all sorts of details in it about cartridges and brass and bullets like you don't usually find. And I remember seeing some chapters in here on brass and annealing and all sorts of, yeah, Brass stress and strain properties, typical brass cartridge case hardness gradients. There's a lot of stuff in here about brass and how it changes and affects your loads and your accuracy. So that would be a good book. Jeff Seward, Ammunition Demystified, The Non-Bubba's Guide to How Ammo Really Works. This guy really knows his stuff. So you might want to check that out. And then the other books you can look at are 
essentially handloading manuals. They don't go into nearly as much detail as Jeff does, but they've got the basics about how to resize your brass and clean it and all the rest of it. So study those first, and then if you really want to dive into it, I would check out Jeff's book. All right, Scooby, good one. Here is Tom from Ontario, Canada. Ron, could you please explain how to correct for rifle scope parallax on top of my 22 Hornet rifle? I'd be most grateful. Sincerely, Tom. P.S. I don't understand why reticle sharp focus affects it. All right. This will be a fun one. Reticle sharp focus. It's not so much reticle sharp uh, affecting it. The reticle is focused by the dial way out there at the end on your eyepiece. And that's just merely to get it sharp so that you can clearly see your crosshair on your target. So when you get a new scope, if you look through it and the crosshair is a fuzzy, especially if you've got one that has multiple reticles in it or numbers or any kind of extra information, and you really can't see it all that clearly, the diopter on that wheel is not matching up to what your eye needs. So get your eye relief where it is at your three to four inches range usually, and then look up at a clear sky or a white wall or something so there are no distractions, and then just turn that diopter ring until all those lines and numbers are dead sharp. That does not address your parallax, but it gets everything nice and sharp for you. Now you can work with parallax, and the focus issue with parallax is critical because parallax is affected by sharp focus. It's, well, it's a lot like a camera lens. I don't know if you can see this camera lens right out here, but if you were not focused with your camera lens on your subject, you're not going to get a sharp picture. Well, you're not so much worried about a sharp image in your scope when you're shooting as far as parallax is concerned, but what it will do by not having it focused on your reticle is that you will see sight picture that's different from what your rifle is actually delivering or your scope is delivering. So now it sounds a little confusing, so I'm going to go to simple graph. Old guys like me get this real quick because we drove for years with cars that had uh, the speedometer with a needle in front of it. I'm going to flip it around so you guys see the needle. So there are the numbers. How fast are you driving? You start off and you're going 10 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 30, 40, 50. And the needle is not right up against those numbers. It's an inch or a half inch or something in front of them. So there's an air gap between the two. So the rider over on the other side of the car can look at that speedometer that's right in front of the driver. And the driver says, well, to me, it looks like I'm going right up in the middle here at 60 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour, whatever it was. And the rider sees it covering up the 30 or 40 mile an hour. And why are you going so slow? No, no, I'm going 60. Well, not from where I am. That's a parallax issue. You've got two things in different points of focus. You got the numbers behind the needle. If the needle were slapped right up against those numbers, there's no gap in there. So regardless at what angle you looked at it, you are going to be able to see where it's supposed to be. That's what's happening with your scope. If your reticle is perfectly focused on your target or your target is perfectly focused on your reticle, then there's no gap between the two and you cannot have parallax, which is the apparent movement of your needle or your reticle, your crosshair, in relation to the target, the speedometer behind it. Does that make sense? So one more time, the focus has to be on both simultaneously. You need to focus the scope 
to the same spot that the reticle is sharp. So you sharpen your reticle with your diopter, and then you have to turn your parallax dial to focus your scope to that same point. And then there's no difference in how you shift your head behind the eyepiece and move the reticle in relation to the target. So you should be dead on every time. The other cure for that, of course, is to not have your eye off center with your scope. If you're perfectly behind your scope right in the middle, you're not going to have an issue even if the reticle is in front of the focus on the target. But that's not always easy to do. So ideally, you want to tweak and adjust your parallax wheel. Now, most scopes do not have a parallax adjustment because they figure for deer hunting, you're probably looking at a 100 to 200 yard shot. And if you adjust that scope's focus to be perfectly on for 100 yards, there's not going to be much difference even if you do move your eye well off the target at 200 yards or something. It's just not that big of a deal. It's when you start shooting really far out there that those little differences in where your eye and the reticle and the target are, that's when the parallax starts to add up and you can really start to miss badly. So uh, I hope that worked out for you. Sometimes I can explain parallax a little easier than others. This one didn't feel quite as smooth as some of my earlier ones. But um, if you still don't quite understand it, give me a shout back and we'll try it again. Um, oh, that looks like all of the questions. So that's all of the answers. Gosh, guys, I, I hope I gave you some good information today. And again, we want to thank all of our patrons for uh, interacting with us and supporting us. Um, if you are interested in joining us on Patreon, just go to Ron Spomer Outdoors and it will tell you on there how to sign up. Or you can go to Patreon um, online and look for Ron Spomer Outdoors and join us that way. And if you're interested in the book, of course, once again, go to Ron Spomer Outdoors store, get you an autographed copy. If you want to save a few bucks on it, just go directly to Amazon and you can get it that way. Uh, anything else? Check out the dog stories if you're a dog man or an upland bird hunter. I think you really enjoy the writing in this book by Chris. Chris Manson's True Companions. I think that covers it for now, guys. Um, kind of right in the middle of winter here. So I think we're going to be doing something on uh, coyote hunting coming up fairly soon. So you might want to stay tuned to the regular Ron Spomer Outdoors channel uh, in addition to the podcast channel. So uh, thanks for joining us. And until next time, I'm honest to shoot straight. Mm -hmm.